Welcome to Bleed TV. For the fans, the best shows on TV. And I'm Zach. And I'm Jake. And tonight we're covering Game of Thrones. This is episode 502, I believe. And the name of it was, of course, The House of Black and White. Um, I think the director was Slovis again. And, of course, the writer's D&D. What do you think of this episode, bro? I actually really enjoyed this episode. Um, A lot of plot movement. You know, maybe not a just a kill fest or anything like that, but a lot of characters moving and shaking. You know, and I I really appreciate that, especially on a second episode. Absolutely, I thought the show was spot on. I was so happy to see all the characters we missed um, and where they were and how they were doing. Uh, it was really really exciting. I really enjoyed it. Of course, it was another setup episode, and there was a few slow parts, but they were necessary, and uh, I really enjoyed that. And uh, I'm gonna shake it up a little bit here, bro, and I'm gonna interject a viewer comment that I thought was spot on for what they thought of this episode, and uh, the guy's name name was uh, Daniel and he said it's a great episode slow in terms of action but massive in changing in the fortune of characters I think he's spot on you agree oh absolutely I mean you really see you know the momentum changing in certain character storylines I mean from John at the wall to Arya finally arriving at her destination Brienne finally spotting a Stark that she feels like maybe she can get her hands on. You know, it's, uh, like I said, it's a lot of moving and shaking, a lot of progression, and I love it. There's no doubt. I think everybody was making a step forward progressing towards a goal that we had established from the prior seasons, and I think that was a big deal. Except maybe Danny. I'm growing tired of her story sometimes. Well, I mean, she is trying to become a ruler of people. Unfortunately, her progression is having, I think, more negative than it is positive right now. So, I mean, we're going to keep going with that. We'll get, in, we'll get into it. Uh, let's go right into the rundown. The show started right off with uh, Arya in the boat going right into, um, what's the name of this town again? Bravos. Bravos. Oh, yeah. Love Bravos. Uh, <laughs> the only part that I wasn't did, did I catch that wrong where the boat was going right under the crotch of the statue? I mean, I mean, Absolutely. is my man wearing anything on the statue? I'm just kind of curious. Uh, there's a lot of eunuchs in the show, but it wouldn't stop them from taking a big shit on the boat. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I just thought that was kind of strange that they make that happen. But anyway, they come in. Arya's just taking her slow ride. She's seeing the community around her. Everybody's just being productive, living a day-to-day life. Doesn't look like there's a lot of bad things or anything really negative going on. And she's looking forward to her destination. And, of course, then they arrive to this enormous building with the very unique door of black and white. What's the significance of this black versus white door? Uh, I mean, I think about maybe like dark and light, good and evil, yin and yang. I mean, these, these group of assassins are supposed to be completely neutral. So, you know, they got good, bad, doesn't make a difference to them. It's, you know, who they got to kill, you know. So they're basically, a, you know, hires without conscience. They don't care either way. No, you I mean you can't really have a conscience when it comes to this because you can't you can't say no, you know. I mean they they get a name, they got to kill that person, whether they like it or not. 
I see. Okay. Well, uh, Arya gets off the boat, uh, you know, um, tells the man thank you, and he says that, you know, of course, anybody would have done this. And she goes up the door, gives it a couple good knocks, and out comes this older black gentleman. Um, not what I was expecting whatsoever. Well, since I'm a book reader, I was expecting this. Um, he's called the kindly man in the books, okay? Well, he wasn't so kind. No, not necessarily. Uh, but this is kind of like a fight club slash, you know, I don't know, some kind of test, basically, I guess that she's supposed to pass or whether they let her in or not. Yeah. I mean, I didn't quite get the vibe. Um, I mean, she gets denied, you know, she's like, I have nowhere to go. And he goes, you have everywhere to go. I thought that was a cool line. Um, and then, of course, he closed the door, and she sits out there. And this is the part I really enjoyed. She's out there doing, I guess, a prayer or a, I guess, a, a, a really generic song. No, basically, just prayer. of her hit list that's left over. Yeah, she's she's pretty much had it since season two. She says it every time before she goes to sleep, anytime she's sitting still. So, I mean, that yeah, this is Arya's prayer, basically. Yeah, it was, it was pretty neat. And, of course, you know, it... Uh, it was really, I want to give props because they went the extra mile on all the visuals, all the buildings, everything in the distance. Of course, that giant statue and looking up her skirt and the whole nine yards. But everything was really, really neat. And if you notice when you watch the playback, if you ever get a chance, even when she's looking in the surroundings in the distance, even the statue was way off in the background. I mean, that's an extra little element that I thought they went a really good extra mile on. Uh, every building looked really good. I was really impressed with the visual effect and they really are really really honing in this year on a lot of those things where i've noticed in the past they've kind of lacked on some little parts yeah i mean since season one like if you go back to watch season one it is night and day difference on the quality of the look of the show i mean they've come a really long way and, they, and their visuals are just i mean 100 percent better and like you say the small details you know that's like a venice type you know, rowing the canals to get around. And the fact that the House of Black and White is kind of, you know, on the back of the town, kind of secluded, and looks like you have to row to get there. You know, so I'm not even really sure how she got into the inner part of the city, you know, from this place, unless she swam. But, you know, just really cool visuals. I I love the fact that they really focused on you know, just the day-to-day life of the people and that, that war has not affected them at all. You know, it's just, I'm going to cook my fish on the bank here, you know, go about business as usual. Oh, yeah, sack my grain the whole nine yards. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was really good. It was it was like a setup within a setup. It was, it was necessary. It achieved its goal. Kudos. Yep. Um, then it goes right into Brienne um, pulling up into a stable, a place where they get some food, a restaurant, whatever you want to call it, her and Pod. And, of course, wouldn't you know it, there's Littlefinger and Sansa at a table 20 feet away. I mean, um, this is just, you know, it's like deja vu, you know. She sees Arya, and then she sees Sansa go by. She didn't realize it's her, but then, of course, now they're at this place. Um, you know, and Pod being sharp eye that he is you know of course before he sees sharp eye you know he's giving the waitress the eyes 
you know, uh, I, yes. thought, you know I thought that was kind of good. But, of course, he uh, he lurks beyond. There she is. I know it. She's dyed her hair, but I know that's her. I didn't get that because all I saw was a hand come out, grab some drink. I, from that point of view that they showed the camera angle, I didn't see Sansa. Did you see any different? Yes, I did. You, you actually see her profile. She leans out far enough where you can see her face. Well, I missed that. But uh, from the distance and the camera angle they gave me, I didn't see it where it was like, boom, there's Sansa. I didn't see it. Well, they did a good job with Pod in earlier seasons, kind of like when um, Dorne was first coming into King's Landing, where Pod could pick out flags, you know, a mile down the road and give you their house names. You know, they could point out the sigils on the flags. He's very, very, you know, observant huh? observant of all his surroundings and stuff like that he's pretty dense when it comes to being a squire but the book smart stuff he has gotcha well of course brianne tells him to go get the horse and he he busts her out we only got one horse you know and he, you know of course get your to ass get another there, one you know um but then she walks up there boldly you know as brianne does with most everything and Gets to Sansa and is like, you know, hey, I swore an oath to your mother. Uh, you know, I was her sword. I'm here to protect you. I offered my services to you again. And before she can even make that offer, Littlefinger is like kind of testing her and making comments and questioning her abilities and her nobility and everything else because of everybody, like I've been saying for the last few casts, is that anybody she's sworn to ends up dying. Absolutely, and the, and the fact that Renly's death was from a magical shadow baby, you know, with Stannis's face, you know, it's almost like naive bravery, honesty. You know, she's to a fault, kind of like Ned Stark was, where she can't help but tell the truth. You know, she just got honor above everyone else, but. It could be the death of her. Well, that just makes her look like a doofus to everybody standing there to say, well, he's killed by a shadow. And you're the only witness to that. And to everyone else, you're the only person in the tent when he takes the knife in the back. So, I mean, I I think I come up with a different story or something so I don't have that situation. Because as soon as she said that, the credibility of the table where she was standing at was shot. And immediately Sansa was like, thanks, but no thanks. And shoes her away. And, you know, of course, she has to do something stupid and get them chasing her out of there. No, no, no. I think you missed a part. Because when she says no, Littlefinger says, well, you know, the roads are dangerous. We should, you know, maybe just take her on. We could use all the help we could get. But he does a knowing look to his guards. And Brienne noticed it. They were going to kill Brienne. Uh, that's right. You're right. This is the part where I, my wife was questioning me. I was like, her knowing that Sansa is a liability. And that's exactly. why she's got to go. Right. See, as soon as she announced Sansa's name in the bar, Littlefinger already had his mind. This one's got to die. And so does her little squire friend. So... As soon as she saw that knowing look and Sand had already said no, that's why she busts through, starts cutting loose the horse's reins, and then cutting open guts and you know, riding people down. I mean, Brynn <laughs> well, is know, a beast. She uh you know, she rides off, she loses a few of them, Pod and his goofy tail goes to the water and gets dumped. Um, 
you know, but in that process, she sees the caravan going off in a different direction, knowing which one to go, uh, where it's headed, um, and goes back to retrieve Pod. And of course, like you're talking about, you know, she runs down a guy who's about to kill Pod. And then I love the next guy where she breaks his sword after she slices his shoulder and then stabs him through the neck. And, you know, of course, the blood effects were spot on. And it was really cool to see the blade come out the back of his neck towards the camera. Yeah, excellent angle. I mean, like, it was like, whoa, right there. You know, it was like money. I mean, it was... You know, how many people have you seen somebody get stabbed and it's from a distance? And yeah, that's good. And this guy is inches from the camera, the exit of the blade, the little, you know, the blood splatter. Uh, way to go the extra mile. Way to do the, you know, give the effect, that real emotion. I uh, really, really enjoyed that part. I did too. And it, it's um, been a, kind of a rarity. You see too much action on horseback. So, you know, you get little quick scenes of people just riding by slashing and stuff like that. But to see an actual kind of a, a sword fight on two mounted people, you know, even though her sword just shatters his piece of shit, you know. Yeah, it, I mean, that that is one little part that was like, really? But it was worth it. You oh, know, yeah. They went for it. I'll take it. You know, you could say a bridge too far, but... Uh, I mean, she went through one time, one slice, homeboys laid off the side of the, uh, the course, he's dead, you know, which that, that's another thing that does bother me about some shows is that, you know, unless she slops his head off, he can take a complete slice across the chest and he's not going to be dead instantaneous like that. You know, uh, that, that, you know, he'll laid off that horse. I mean, come on. She didn't but cut thing, him in half. If that sword could take another steel sword i'm assuming and break it like a pretzel what do you think it's doing to his rib cage and his, his chest and his organs i mean okay yeah maybe he would lay there for 30 seconds and be like oh this sucks yeah, but, what mean, a world he, what a world dead fish in a hanging off a saddle instantaneously i gotta be honest if i got hit with a sword while on horseback and i fell in the mud I'd probably lay there real still so she wouldn't hit me again. <laughs> wow. Okay. Anyway, it's, it's a minor detail, but this is the things I look at. Um, from there, of course, she tells Pod which way they're going. We're going to follow close, right. but not Kings that, Road to the know. east. Uh, then it rolls right into the, one of the preview scenes where Cersei and Jamie are at a table, and there's that strange box. Jamie comes up and pulls the lid on it, and voila, there's the stuffed snake and with a necklace. Do like the line where I recognize it. Only two are made. One's on my neck, and one said my daughter. You know, I thought that was really, really cool. I think it was a good way to set that up. I, I agree. I was a little nervous. You know, I wasn't nervous because I saw the preview, but I would be nervous if I came up on a strange box from Dorn, knowing that they're unhappy with us, knowing that they're poisoners, and you know the, their background. I would cautiously. Open that box. I'd probably call in some little yeah, BS guards. Stooge to come in here. Hey, open that box for me, man. Love you. You know, yeah, some nameless extra yeah. to come in and, uh, yeah. hey, man, come get some acid blown on your face. For exactly. You it's know, Pandora's box. box, as far as I know. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, it can have some kind of dust in it and you're toast, you know. Yeah, I, I've seen too many. I've seen The Mummy. I've seen Indiana Jones. I don't oh, open shit. Yeah, I mean, come on. 
no doubt. But anyway, so Cersei in her usual form, you know, I'll burn their city to the ground. They harm her hair on her head. Um, and Jamie comes up and says, I'm going. I'm going to go save her. I'm going to be like that. And, of course, she criticizes him. You know, you alone, da da da, da. And, he, of course, he goes, uh, you know, who said I'm going alone? You know, um, and then it, it cuts away from the scene. Um I like the bravery. Um, it does announce that all of her children are, he's the father. Uh, that, I didn't know all that. I thought there was a mix and mingle, but I guess, you know, that's just me. I mean, you call um, yourself a fan. How would you not know this? I'm telling you, <laughs> like, I thought at least Robert had at least one. I mean, um, I guess they're all Jamie's kids. I mean, Robert is a fertile guy. I mean, the guy you know had twenty kids per witch, and we've seen several of the bastards, or we know of several. Why uh, his junk not working? Her only Jamie's. I mean, only bro sister work. All right. Well, if you go all the way back to season one, there is a story she talks about to Catelyn when Bran is thrown out of the tower, but when he falls and he's in his you know hospital bed, basically. Where she talks about they did have a son, but it didn't survive through the birth. Okay. And you hear uh, Robert broke his hand, smashing the wall when he found out the son had passed away. But she also talks later on about how how Robert would only ever try to sleep with her when he was drunk. Because he wasn't necessarily just fond of her. But she would either kind of get graphic, but she would just squeeze it out or not let him finish inside of her or she would take tansy which is basically the medieval um morning after pill oh okay okay so she would allow jamie you know you know to impregnate her but anytime robert would take her she would take care of the situation gotcha we'll see i completely missed that so learn something today um of course, Jamie says, I'm going to Dorne. That's the end of that. Um, then it goes right to Braun. Smash cut. <laughs> and uh, his futile attempt of throwing stones across the water. Uh, if you, I don't know if you actually watched this. I went back and checked a little bit. I think maybe one out of eight throws actually had a stone that skipped. I, I don't know. It, it, I saw it wasn't impressive, you know, by any means. But then you meet this, and I hate to say it, she seemed a slight dim bulb of a young lady that, uh, you know, didn't speak of high maturity and then talked about how somebody still pulls their hair. And uh, um, it was obvious it was uh, he was in it for the dowry, by no doubt. Okay, this is Lawless Stokeworth. Okay, now you have to go all the way back to season two. Now, do you remember when Joffrey was like going through the town and everybody was hungry and then somebody threw a uh, like uh, basically a cow pie at his face. Do you remember that? Vaguely. Okay, well, Sansa was pulled off her horse, and they tried to rape her, then the hound came in and cut the guy in half. Of course, I remember that now. Okay, during that same time, they tore a priest apart, pulled him out of his wagon, tore him apart, but they also took Lawless Stokeworth, and in the books, they make it pretty well known that she was basically raped by a, a hundred you know, flea bottom street rats. Okay. Now this is where she gets her kind of like PTSD level of like dim witted, like in shock 
for the rest of her life, huh. basically. So she's now, damaged goods. Yeah. She's damaged goods, but she is a noble daughter. So, kind of as a slight, they engage her to Bronn, you know. But Bronn sees the positives in it. You know, he's like, I'm going to get a castle on some land. He's in it for the lordship. Yeah. Right. And you see when they're walking down the you know the beach talking, and he's like, "Oh, I love this! I can't believe I'd settled in a cat." And she's like, "Oh, you wouldn't. I'm the you know the, I'm the second daughter." Yeah. She's like, oh, "Well, you know, mean people get what's coming to I them. Know, <laughs> I love it. I, I love it. I was I love like, it. Uh, yes, that's my boy Bronze. We, we're you gonna know. make sure you get your castle, baby. Absolutely. It took him five seconds to realize. Oh well, she's gonna have an unfortunate accident. You know. <laughs> you know what comes around to those mean people? You know, it just it's where it works. I, yeah. I thought that was money. Uh, and of course, she notices a guy in the distance, and it's Jamie F. Lannister. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, he comes over, and he you know he does the smooth, kisses her hand. You can go on alone like that, and he starts giving her a little rap, and he's like, "Just get to it. You wouldn't be here, you know." And uh, he basically tells him that you know, look, you know, I'm gonna make you have a bigger castle and a better girl to marry if you come with me, or you can settle for what you got, you know. And of course, Bronn, being the guy who was a sale sword anyway, I think he's gonna take the money. Shit, he couldn't even settle. He, uh, the scroll said that she was being betrothed to a whole other guy, so he was out on a limb, whether he liked it or not. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, then it goes right into Dorn. Our first true picture of Dorn this season. Um, it goes right to the mistress, and you can just tell in her face. She's just angry. Got a lot of pinned-up aggression. And she walks up to... Um, Doran. This is the bad-to-the-bone bodyguard, right? Big okay. fella? Aria Hota. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, and co- now, kudos to you. She calls his weapon an axe, even though it is a spear with a blade at the end of it. I, I won't call it a spear either, because it isn't a wide blade. I would call it a polearm. Okay. It looks like a Joe blade from us Mississippi does boys. <laughs> Joe blade, <laughs> which I have wielded often. Yes. Okay. He's got a fancy Joe blade with a jewel on it. Okay. <laughs> Let's go ahead and be honest with you. Anybody done with a Joe blade, go to Google and Home Depot Lowe's Joe blade. $27. Check the hardware department. Okay. Uh, he just had a nice one. Um, of course, you know, you, you hear the prince and this is uh, Prince Dor- Doran. Or, yeah, he uh, tells her, let her by. She comes in there, and she busts his balls. You know, talking about, you sit at this chair, and you watch her breathe our air, eat our food, and you do nothing to avenge the murder of your brother, you know. And then he clarifies it, saying that she he wasn't murdered under law. He went to a trial by combat and lost, you know. And then, of course, he plugs her a little bit with the whole, uh, I've known her way longer than you've ever been a part of his life. Um and yet she still kind of jabs at him with some pretty hard-hitting comments. I don't, you know, I think this is a different location. She's dead. I mean, if she's talking to Stannis that way, toast. She's talking to anybody at King's Landing, toast. I mean, there, it was kind of a unique situation. Yeah. You know, he he's supposed to be the most subdued brother. You know, the leader of the people. You know, it's supposed to be a kinder, gentler people. But... Also known for their hardy fighters, you know. And you see, he looks over at his bodyguard and says, no, 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 no. You know, don't cut her in half right now. You know, let her by. 
you know, that won't help us anything. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> and did you notice that he was in a chair on wheels? I didn't notice that. Okay. It's not it's not guaranteed, but it's pretty much shown that he's in a wheelchair. Okay. And the reason why he never went to King's Landing originally was supposedly because of his gout. In the books, it is well known that he is stricken horribly with gout, where he can barely walk. And a lot of times in the books, his big bodyguard totes him around, like when no one's around. Really? And, you know, meetings are over, he'll carry him to his bed and stuff like that. So he's like an FDR leader of Dorne? Absolutely. And it's not that it's secret, but to not look weak... He doesn't let his bodyguard tote him around around other people. So I'm not sure if they're going to do it in this show, you know, because the actor is actually a, a really good actor. I, I, I look forward to seeing him. So if they don't give him standing and walking parts and stuff like that, then it's going to be all, all a mental thing. You know, you're going to really see his leadership side and his, you know, skill at planning and, you know, things of that nature instead of a, a warrior. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, goes right into the Danny's area of Eric with a scene with Grey Worm and what's her um, lover's name? Um, Dario. Dario. Uh, going down these little alleys and streets, and obviously they're looking for um, harpy assassins and so on. They bust into one door after having a good little cool dialogue, and they walk in. And I thought this was really cool where they have the analogy, of, uh, you know, the comparison of you can't search for something because you don't understand what fear does to a person because you don't have it. And he, you know, and of course he walks over that wall and stabs through that little part and hits the guy in the leg. Uh, I thought that was really neat and kind of explained how not being afraid could be a weakness. Absolutely. But a lot of it was also showing that the second sons who are, you know, vagrants and drunks and, you know, mercenaries can kind of blend in more with the locals when unsullied, you can see from a mile away, you know, they have no personality. They all wear the same uniform. They all look the same. So, you know, I I love the dialogue. I thought it was a slightly tropey, you know, stabbing the guy through the wall, you know, because I hope I'm assuming there's some hidden access and that he didn't just immediately plaster himself in there and, you know, quick dry. I give you credit. That's credit. I mean, it is kind of a stereotypical. It is kind of like <clears throat> in a regular situation. He probably just tore the wall and well, ah, here he is. But, um, of course, you know, he stabs him. He's on the ground. They grab him and they look through his stuff and they find a couple knives in that, in that mask. That mask is very ornate. I mean, it makes it sound like there's a lot of them around. I mean, you know, is to me, that looks like something you don't just leave as a calling card. It looks like it's very technically time-consuming to make, you know? Yeah, well, they want to also make sure you understand that these aren't, like, slaves that are, you know, wishy-washy, whether or not they want to support Daenerys. These are... Sons of the Harpy are basically... They're the sons or former masters. These are the people with the money. You know, even even his dress, you know, his clothes were like, it looked like nice blue linen, you know. Right, they were definitely above grade. Right, so they're, I think, what's with the gold mask, which is not necessarily something you saw in the books. These people were just in shadows and you never saw them. And 
the fact that they were wearing these masks was kind of a it's kind of a neat thing. I love them. I think they look awesome. Yeah, it's it's very befitting. Very befitting, as you know. I think it's it's right on. Um, it goes right into the scene where Danny's at a table meeting with all of her advisors, um, and they're trying to decide the fate of this harpy assassin. Um, and everybody at the table has a basically different opinion, but it basically comes down to the decision of do we do a trial – and decision, or do we kill him and make him an example? Um, what What was your first gut reaction, or your opinion on that? Well, I mean, honestly, I, I thought it was more or less torture him for information, you know, I, which I guess Dario has already done. But you know, when you actually see him later, he doesn't look too worse for the wear, so he couldn't have, you know, gone flayed man style and peeled his skin off and his you know his tore his junk off or nothing like that so he's i mean yeah like he said he questioned him and didn't know anything but somebody paid him to do it i mean that's what they established that i mean so he has to have a connection somewhere right but i think they're kind of showing the resilience of these guys where they're not going to break the loyalty you know that they're stand fast in their to beliefs the yeah. right to the death so i agree with sir barriston saying that you know, you need to set this example that law is the rule. You know, yes, you're a queen and you're the ruler, but, you know, showing fairness can bring uh, all the people together, which if you go the opposite way and just cut the guy's head off, you're going to definitely lose one side. You know, the rich, you know, old masters will turn on you for sure. You know, but if you do the trial and you make it public, and you show everybody you're just trying to be, you know, just and follow the rule of law, then maybe over time you can, you know. Yeah, I really like Barron's three, I mean, his speech to her about comparison to the Mad King or yeah, dad, dad and, yeah. um, you know, what he thought and what he did to the people that he were against him or betrayed him or ruled by fear and how it ultimately led to his, you know, demise. Uh, I think it was spot on. It was a good, good spot in the, in the whole episode. And you can definitely tell Danny absorbed it and was going to make those decisions. And as soon as she was going to make that good, she made the good decision. Of course, the harpy assassin gets killed. Um, and it you know basically forces her hand, you know. Uh, I thought that was you know unfortunate, but that's how the show goes. As things, as soon as you want to make some progressive moves, a positive direction, and voila, you know something happens and torpedoes it. Um, yeah, Danny's always in a kind of a one step forward, two steps back situation. Yes, you know, absolutely. You, you know, know she every time she right, right. wants to do right, and then poof, you know, now I got to retreat. And they come back again. It's like always putting out fires, you know. Exactly, exactly. Um, then it goes right into our two faves, Varys and Tyrion. Uh, in another box. <laughs> in another box, yeah. It's all about these boxes. Um, and then, of course, the initial dialogue, great a grin. He's, you know, he's com- Varys is complaining about not eating, and he goes, Did, was I not clear in my intentions to drink my way over here yeah absolutely you, you know. i love the i love the there's a bug in here oh heaven forbid you get some solid food <laughs> you know even if it is a bug you know what i mean <laughs> and I, I love those comments about how you know 
we stay in this box because everyone out there is repulsed by us. You know, you got a eunuch and a dwarf. It's like they're bottom of the barrel as far as, you know, class goes. Oh, yeah. And then he's like, well, I want to go out and take a walk. You know, he's like, no. You know, I mean, and of course, I like how he, he finishes it up and goes, I can't be the only dwarf out here, you know. What, is he going to kill them all? Yeah. And, uh, and of course, that's that's the next scene where you you see some guy's head on a table, <laughs> you know, and these three dimwits, you know, in front of Cersei, you know, like, this ain't him. And you, you can see him shaking in utter fear and trembling you know like oh boy and you know they're like well what do we do with them well let's don't kill them because it'll discourage the hunt which is true i think that was a great uh decision on her part uh and then it goes to the creepy part where homeboy says i want to keep the head you gotta tell me what's going on here okay first off if i was those guys I'd have shit my chainmail in a heartbeat because they sold their armor. There's no yes. doubt. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give you the analogy <laughs> from the Holy Grail, but yeah, the homeboys sold their armor. There's no right. doubt. So first off, you're dealing with Cersei, who we all know is like a monster, but you're also down there in Kyburn's laboratory, where there is a massive white sheet covering a massive white body over in the corner, which a lot of people probably missed. Okay, so I'm assuming I that's totally the totally missed this. I'm so going back it's, to watch this. It's such a small second of a part of it. So right? am I saying this is the mountain under the sheet? We're assuming it's the mountain, okay? So, you know, there's all this creepy shit all over his lab and stuff like that. You probably have heard his reputation about being removed from the Citadel because of his black arts and, you know, studying some blood magic and things like that. So, you know... I would be worried first off by Cersei, second off that I don't want to be anywhere near this guy who wants to, you know, prod and poke at me and steal my organs for some experiment. Keep heads. Right. It's and, like the governor off the walking dead here. All right. And then so so you get this head, which is kind of cool too, because you see that there's a fresh gash across the face and nose. Like these people are trying to make it look like Tyrion, but the, the wound is way too fresh. You know, so it's like, obviously, this is not him. So, but I love it. I love the small details, you know, mm-hmm. of. Yeah, the, it was a lot more to that scene than I'd ever realized. And so I'm, I'll definitely be hitting that again when we get done here. Um, then it goes right to Cersei again at a table. Um, this is evidently where like back in the first couple seasons this is the king's table and he's talking to all of his heads about you know she's filling in of course and she's basically creating her own party or her uh constituents for the king uh naming home that one guy for master of coin and and um and then she goes right to talking to her uncle and this was an awesome scene to my I mean, I mean, the guy really pops up, stands up to her and, you know, wants to make her the, um, make, sorry, make him the, what is it called? A Master war? of War. Master of War. You know, after she denutted uh, the other guy, you know. Um, Pycelle. Pycelle, and that weakling old scrubbler fellow. Ugh. He, he, the guy just drives me nuts. I mean, every scene is, he's, you know, he's like a bottom feeder, giving information about this, that. So it's the next opportunity. It's just, 
uh, I was kind of happy to see him squirm and have issue with everything. Yeah, um, since she's taken power, he's pretty much done nothing but squirm. Yeah, I mean, waste, oxygen thief, in my opinion. But anyway, uh, so the uncle, uh, you know, looks at her and goes, well, you want to make this little party, that's fine, uh, you know, but I should be talking to the king, not some mother of the king. You have no power, no authority over me. And if he wants to sub me, you know, su- um, summon me, uh, come on to Castle Rock and I'll come on back, you know, and he just walks out on her, you know. I mean, uh, made Cersei look pretty little right there. Absolutely, this is one of the only people other than Tywin that's ever come down on her before and called her out on her BS, you know, because you could see, you know, she's just buttering up Tyrell uh, and putting him in a master of coin, you know, which is a useless position right now, you know, that's, it's unnecessary, plus the Tyrells have the money, they're the money guys, so it's good to put him in that situation so he can feel a little more open-handed with his money. You know, so she's placing placeable around, you know, you got Kyburn is now the new master of whispers, which he's, like I said, he's a creepy dude. You know, how does he find out secrets? You know, Varys had his little birds, but Kyburn's probably a torturous, experimenting, you know, psychopath. He has his ways of getting information. Right. It's not the typical way. Yeah, it'd be a painful way, I'm <laughs> yeah. assuming. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. yeah. But, but I do love, like you said, with Kevin Lannister, First off, this, I mean, great scene with the dialogue, well, really well written. You know, I, I just, I love him dressing down Cersei. You know, it's oh, wonderful. Yeah. And you know, the, um, I can't remember her name, the Cersei, the actress. Um, Lena Headey. Yeah, Lena Headey. She does a really good job of wearing her emotions. I mean, because when she was talking, you know, talking to them all, you could tell she was, you know, blowing sunshine, you know, signing shoes, the whole nine yards. And then as he's talking down to her, you can just see her face slowly change into pure hatred to being, you know, dominated in the situation and trying to succumb to it and then change it by turning to would you you know leave your king in need like a right. last ditch effort you know hail mary and just blows up in her face again yeah she's the queen of rbf which is resting bitch face you know <laughs> doesn't matter happy sad whatever if she's standing still the face is on you know like you say she wears her emotions on her sleeve it's awesome, you know, to, you know, to view on the screen, you know, because you know exactly what she's thinking. You know, she's just a smart ass. You know, she's got nothing but jabs for you. You know, she she's very selfish. Oh, yeah. The only time you see her happy is like season one, she's getting plugged by Jamie. And then intermittent through the last couple of seasons, whenever her, her little debacle plans come to fruition, she has that little bit of a grin, which is devilish and... Uh, other than that, like you said, just bitch. Yeah. I mean, any time Tyrion is, you know, in pain of any kind, that's the only time I ever see her happen. Uh, it moves right into um, Sam and his girl. The girl's getting some reading lessons from Stennis's daughter. And, you know, they're rubbing their finger over this S. And she gives her a good analogy, like look at its shape to figure out what the letter is. Pretty neat. And this is the second person she's teaching to read. The first one was Stennis's right-hand man. Davos. Davos. Um, the fingerless, fingerless wonder. Yeah, no. how dare you call him right-hand man. <laughs> yeah. Just low down. <laughs> 
He's the right palm man. Right nubbed man. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, you know, so they're talking back and forth. Um, and then uh, the mother, uh, Stennis's creepy wife, busts up in there and, you know, says you need to avoid her. She's a wildling. She could take out her cause on you because of Stennis and his power and what he's done. Um, but right before that, this was a really interesting part I was going to ask you about. She talked about, um, the wildling girl, Sam's girlfriend talked about two sisters she had that had what I think what's called grayscale is what it's called. And that they had to tie her up outside and had their own little hut and it was covered on them. And she made it sound like that it changed who they were and how they acted. Like they were wild animals. Did, Did you get the same vibe or what can you tell me? Okay, this is kind of cool because in the books, you learn a little bit more about Grayscale a little further down the road, okay? The fact that they're introducing it a little more, you know, uh, intently now with, you know, just talking to her about, you know, how she was cured from it, whatever the case may be, and the fact that you talked about her two sisters, you know, getting worse and worse and then being chained up and not being themselves anymore and acting like animals and having to be put down in the woods. Okay. I can't really get into why I think it's so interesting because I, I do think it will play in some more later down the road. Okay. Okay. But really cool, you know, because this is the first time they've really gone into, you know, the grayscale stuff on her face and really dived into it. Tried to get a little explanation because I gave some background on it, you know, that Stennis had a bunch of, you know, I guess mystic witches, cure people who try to cure it, were able to stop it to where it didn't take her completely over. And that's why you only have that left side of her face. Um, yes, because normally it's fatal. And like I say, I mean, they're, she's pretty much the only one that's ever survived it. Yeah. And doesn't seem to be affecting anyone else by being around it. No, and like I said, I can't get too much into it about whether or not it's contagious. Okay. You know, I don't. Well, let me keep moving. Um, then it goes right to Jon Snow, and he's in, I guess, this room with Stennis and Davos. And uh, they start talking about how you just killed the leader of the wildlings. They're not going to follow you. Um, and he goes, well, I want you know, I want the north, and they're not going to follow you either. And he pulls out this little, little scroll, and he says, you know, um, the king of the north, Stark, you know, and he gets a little chuckle out of it. I thought this was a pretty cool little part right here. Yeah, this is awesome. This is a, okay, this is a family that's more prominent in the books, all right? You got somebody named Mage Morant, who was really cool in the books. She's a chick, all right? Like Brienne, but she's really brawny lady, and she totes an axe, and she kicks a lot of ass in the books, okay? She's one of the main supporters of Rob Stark when he takes King of the North status. Okay. Now the one that wrote the note is a little 10 year old girl. All right. Which is Liana Mormont, which is named after, uh, John's aunt, Liana. Okay. And that's why it was a little handwritten scribbled note. You know, we only know one King and that's King of the North. And his name is Stark. Right, and there's even a little wolf drawn. On yeah, the it, was, right it was a cool little drawing. Right, that's why Stannis was like, "Do you know who this little monster is?" <laughs> you know, I mean, it was such a good scene. I love it, and then the fact that it rolled right into, you know, 
probably the best news John could ever get. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the guy says, "I'm going to make you, the, you know, the king of the north, the uh, you know, the head of Winterfell, and and you know, I mean, and legitimize him, yeah, right? Make him who he is, and if you kneel, you will rise as a Stark, you know." I mean, what every bastard child wants. They want their, you know, their father's name. And, uh, and then it goes down to the bar where he's talking to, you know, Sam. And, of course, he finds a way to, you know, torpedo it and shoot it down. And my word and my this. My and, vow, yeah. I mean, the guy has been breaking vows for two seasons. What's one more? But he, he broke vows to save the Night's Watch. You know, it was all... You know, I understand that, you know, so you're telling me sleeping with Egret saved the yes, Night's Watch? Yes, yes. It's all about the Lord's kiss on oh, Egret. Okay. Yeah. He looked like he was saving the guys, <laughs> let me tell you. It's very delicate. It's subterfuge, <laughs> you know. Delicate my ass. <laughs> well, you know, but the thing of it is, is this is another thing that can really go into the book because you can, in the books, you can write down their thoughts. You know, you can really get into John's head and you realize from a child that him and Rob, although they've been best friends, they've competed their whole lives because they're around the same age and he's wanted nothing more than to, you know, impress Ned Stark and to be legitimized and his biggest dream of all time is to actually be the Lord of Winterfell. So they've had this laid at his feet, this possibility, and then him turn it down, you know, is... It's monumental, really. Well, he hasn't turned it down yet. He was just talking to Sam, and he says he's going to turn it down. So maybe there's hope. I don't know. But the way you're talking makes it sound like they were going to have issues. And then it goes, of course, it goes right into the part where he gets done talking to Sam about how he's going to say no. And they get right to the vote, you know, where they're trying to choose Lord and Commander of you know the Night's Watch. And um, the blind guy, what's his name? Uh, Amon. Amon. And so he gives them the understanding of how we're going to do it using what shape coins and someone has to speak for someone else and three candidates arise. And of course, Alistair Thorne, Jon Snow, and a third guy. I didn't, I didn't catch his name. All right. This is Malister. Malister. Okay. Um, he's from the shadow tower or East watch by the sea. One of those two. Okay. And he's just, but you see how old he is. Yeah. He's been in the night's watch for, Dozens of years. Ever. Yeah. Yes, right. Um, and you can definitely tell there's a huge divide. And then the best comic release of the episode. Sam. Sam, you know, I found him <laughs> in a puddle he produced. <laughs> Money. Uh, I, so I, while uh, he was hiding with the women and children. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so far, you know, we're getting a good comic relief every episode. Keep it up, D&D. We're digging it over here. Absolutely. Uh, honestly, even more than the White Walker, everything, the Slayer crap and stuff like that, <laughs> this is my favorite Sam scene. Yeah. You know, because we all hate Jano Slint. He's just such a weasel, you know, oh, and he's obviously... of shit. Yeah, he's... A, worthless. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's obviously a chicken shit hiding down there when the battle's yeah, on raging. I mean, come on. You know, so, and of course it's lies, you know, lies. But, <laughs> I mean, that's all you got. That's what the got. damage, the damage is done. <laughs> you know, Sam has made it clear. You, I mean, you already look worse already. So of course he, he gives John props, you know, Alistair got props and right before the vote, you know, Thorne stands up and you know, basically calls him a wildling lover. 
you know, and I, my prediction when I was watching the show was, was that, that was going to be the defining moment that gave Alistair the win is that, you know, the biggest thing that hurt John was that situation. And then of course, and they do the vote and of course it's lopsided on one end, but then it's a perfect tie was not expecting him to feel the coins and like that. And then drop one down and the place oh, go bananas. It was excellent. That's, you know, was that exactly, is that how it was in the book? Uh, we'll probably get into that a little bit in the spoiler section because okay. it's got a little uh, more. There's that's the way it was written. Genius. I, I really, I really like that. You Let know? me go ahead and say the show version was fantastic. It really was, but the book version is fantastic. But I mean, I'm just going to say the show did not screw it up. This is one of those times where they kind of remix the situation, kind of streamlined it, and it was fantastic. I mean, you cannot yeah. say it would be better off without Samuel Tarley, you know, talking mad shit to Janus. Oh, I mean, it yeah. was excellent. I mean, th- we needed that. I mean, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to have at least one or two comic reliefs every time, every episode. So far, they're hitting on all cylinders. I want to keep it up. Um, it rolls right into um, the next part. Oh, Arya walking through the streets and um, and stuff like that. And this is where we had, uh, you know, a situation where we had a death. Um, and we, <laughs> we, we could, I want, my brother wants to go ahead and make this announcement that um, no pigeons, no, harm. no pigeons were harmed in the making of this episode, <laughs> even though this was an excellent, you know, uh, CG beheading of a pigeon of a small bird <laughs> yeah, you know? small bird whatever <laughs> I, I don't i don't understand why they keep it anyway these three thugs of course they walk up on aria i gave her a lip service and she tells them keep walking you know get lost the whole nine yards and they're about to get to it and i'm about to see the needle in action and grumpy old black fellow comes out of the work with his robe on and they scatter uh you know Obviously, that you know, this fella has got some kind of voodoo on him, or everybody knows you don't mess with him, you know, like that. And Arya just hooks right up with him, and it was like the timing was perfect, you know, like she's about to get into battle, he's there, and then she just w- starts walking behind him, you know, like. Like I was meant to follow you, you know, it was kind of, kind that was part of a little strange, but I guess that's where you got to go. But like I said, if this stuff was a test, right, you got to love Arya's dialogue and her confidence when she's facing three other guys with knives, right? I mean, some of the things she was saying about, you know, dead men that, you know, have no value, whatever. And then as the guy walks behind her, you got to understand that these are all local bravosis. They know what a faceless man is wearing or looks like. That's why they run. I mean, everyone knows the faceless men are just the most lethal assassins in the world. Okay. And then, so if, if this guy was following her the whole time, which he could probably easily do without her knowing it, he sees that she was able to attain food on her own, you know, had the confidence and, the things he was, she was saying to these guys, you know, had to strike a chord saying, shit, she's come a long way. You know, she may be ready. So the fact that, you know, he took her, she followed, 
and then obviously revealed himself as Jack and Nagar. Yeah, yeah, and it was kind of a cool how visual effect they did. You know, of course, he hands the coin back that she had thrown away earlier, and I kind of predicted that was going to happen. But he, you know, you start the camera on over her left ear, you see the older black gentleman, and as she whips around her head, you see him pull. Um, the face off and you know reveal Nagar uh, on that side and then I thought that was a pretty neat effect you know um, we didn't get the whole mission impossible where you see his hand grabs and then all of a sudden you get this quick frame of it turns to a you know jelly <laughs> looks like a jelly mask getting pulled off you know don't get me wrong at that time it was pretty pretty cool they decided to go more the other way um, and then of course he leads her right into the building um, setting up where we're going with that which uh, you know I'm hoping this means that you know I'm hoping this means that she can become like one of them or like it's a training or something but we'll, we'll see where that goes right they haven't they haven't necessarily like there's obviously magic involved, okay? But like you say, they don't really necessarily show you like peeling his face off and he's not like holding a mask in his hand. It's like he's doing the motion, peeling from one side to the next, but he's not holding a face in his hand or anything like that. It's just a new face is there. So I am curious to see how they're going to, you know, show the rules on that magic. Yeah, I mean, are they going to give us details of... How they are, who they are, how they perform, how they got their skills. Those are the things I'm really interested in. I'm Absolutely. hoping that's where they go. Um, then it goes right into that part where they're back at Danny's story and uh, the bald headed kid goes down to meet the Harper Fairy. What's that guy's name again? Masador. Masador. Yeah. Um, the Harper? F- what? Sons Har- of the Harpy. The Harpy. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, and, you know, and they don't really say nothing. And then all of a sudden, you find this guy nailed to a wall and, you know, blood-written message behind his head with his mask on. Well, they did say some stuff. I mean, when he when he stood up and faced Mesador, he was like, she doesn't belong here. No matter how many of y'all that she frees, she'll never be your mother. Okay? Now, you notice they all call her Misa. You know, mother and Valerian. That just struck a chord with him, you know. He was just like, well, F this guy. So it's like he provoked him to hurt him. Right. I think he went down there to kill him anyway. Because when he's, he's in front of Danny and tells her, you know, I, I, I helped you. You didn't have to make this difficult decision. I just took care of it for you. I, I lifted that burden, you know. She obviously doesn't see that way. And this guy is, you know, nailed to a wall with his blood saying, kill the masters again. You know, now it's a public scene. Now everybody sees it. Now the slaves are happy. It's like, oh yeah, another master nailed to a wall. But then, like I said, you've created the divide again. Right, yeah. So, Not a positive outcome by any means. Right, so now you've forced Danny's hand. And I love that, that dialogue between the two about, you know, the law is the law. Right, right. You know, I mean, you're, you're not the law. I'm not the law. The law is the law. Right. And, you know, take him. He's got to go and stuff. And then it leads them to walking out to the, you know, common area where she addresses the crowd and explains that uh, he took a life. Um, and for this, you know, the punishment is death. And, um, and there was that long pause, you know, like, you know, do I really do this? 
Uh, should I be going like that? And then you can tell she's hesitating and not 100% confident in her decision. But yet she does follow through when whoop, Malkoff goes the head. And you notice they didn't show it. All you heard was him swing and a thud of something hitting the ground. Right. Um, I think it was okay. Uh, you know, I was kind of hoping to maybe see something. I thought for sure they were going to do like the distance shot or you see him like a good hundred feet away. Yeah, you see a small head fall. You know, you just see a lump fall over, you know, but, um, they didn't do that. Um, they, you know, I think went more for the audio part of it and then tripped me out with everybody going to the snake sound and yeah, hissing at him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, what is the significance of that? Well, it's just, it's effective. You know, that's a, you know, a common crowd thing. They'll hiss at you when they're, you know, displeased with you. Disapprove. Huh? Right. It's just disapproval, basically. But I noticed it's not like they were mad at her. It's like they were taking their aggression out on the upper class, more or less. Or were they actually trying to attack her? I know they were shielding her and stuff, but it didn't seem like they were going after her. They were going after the other half. Well, I couldn't say that they weren't after her as well. They were hissing at her. Now, the Masters didn't they didn't give a shit. They were happy he cut his head off. You know what I mean? But because they were happy and these were hissing, now they're trying to get at each other. And then you got Unsullied protecting her because she's in the middle of it. And then when you see them leaving and they're holding shields above her head, to, that's it looks like slaves and former Masters throwing rocks. And yeah, stuff they were throwing some rocks at her. So, I mean, you have to assume that, you know, Percentages of both crowds are still pissed at her, you know, and are are turning it on her. So yeah, it was there. Were, there were some really cool shots where, like, Unsullied were smoking some people, you know, hitting one guy got hit in the face and jacked his nose and face, and they were showing some really cool hand to hand combat. I really liked that. I do. I really liked how they showed that the Unsullied were so disciplined and how they formed their shell over her and everything. Right, like a, like it a wasn't phalanx. like. It wasn't um, haphazard by any means. Everything was strategic, planned, well-trained. It was impressive. Um, I thought that was really cool how they went about that way. Um, it adds that little bit of extra sprinkle to the show. Um, then it cuts right to Danny, like up in her chamber, and it's dark outside, and she's walking outside. And, of course, big fella shows his face oh drogon yep. turns around and sees him uh, this is where when i was reading some feedback and i was even checking some online stuff this was the biggest um split of opinion right here was whether or not drogon was accepting her or you know it was another example of him fleeing you know her loss of control um my opinion looks like you know she was happy to see him he came back and he stuck his head down there, sniffed over, did like that. I didn't see uh, a rejection. I saw, oh hi, back to I'm going back to what I'm doing. You know, what do you? Yeah. What were your thoughts? I don't think it's a hundred percent either way, but from what I saw, first off, what brought him back? Like what? What drew him in? Can he feel something? Like, can he feel that she's in danger or in strife or stressed out about something? Or there's her connection? You know, I'm assuming there is. I hope so. I hope she still has a little part of that. So, you know, when he lands and he doesn't immediately light her on fire and <laughs> yeah, start eating her, right. <laughs> you know, he kneels down. She's reaching for him. Yeah. And he's kind of like smelling her 
you know, kind of like a, a, a strange dog would or something. You know, and she gets pretty close. It's not like he, like, screams at her or, you know, bears his teeth at her or anything like that. He just kind of takes off and flies. He does nothing aggressive towards her. No, there was no aggression I wouldn't see. And, I mean, we obviously know he's an aggressive dragon. You know, lighting kids on fire and attacking every livestock he can get his hands on. So the fact that he didn't attack her, I think, is will go more towards the plus side instead of the negative side. I agree. I agree. I just, I hope she... You have to admit, man, last season when she double crosses the guy who had control of the Unsullied, just making commands and oh, everybody yeah. gets roasted, it, that is the number one scene of her true power. No army, no you know, skill assassin, no nothing. Them dragons doing what they do would cause more fear and are untouchable by any army you know man anything you can imagine anywhere else in westeros or anywhere else and i think i hope that we haven't lost that wild card no absolutely not and the fact that the targaryens of old and the way they conquered you know all of westeros is they were riding dragons you know you had you know three you had a uh, uh, you know the main guy and then his two sisters all riding dragons and they came in and just swept over Westeros. Matter of fact, the only place they didn't conquer was Dorne. It's the only place that's never been conquered. Okay. So we're all hoping that there's going to be dragon riding at some point. And you hope Danny's riding Drogon into battle at some point. That would be pretty sweet. I mean, I don't know how long it's going to be because they keep sticking her in all these political situations in Essos, but I'm ready for these dragons to be saddled up and ridden into battle and just strafe running armies, you know, yes. burning them down. <laughs> yeah, sizzle. You know, yeah. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. Um, and then that's credits. You know, the dragon flies off, the credit pops up, and uh, great episode. You know, a lot of setup, but just overall another smashing great episode. Yeah, I love it. Like I said, moving forward. I like seeing forward movement. Yeah, progress. Everybody's making progress. I thought it was great. That goes great. Um, let's go right into the next section. We call this the best and worst. Um, I thought the best part of the show was, in my opinion, again, um, the dialogue. I mean, we're not seeing a whole lot of action, but the dialogue everywhere is spot on. Uh, I just keep, I hate to say I'm repeating myself, but you know, the commentary, the comedy, um, the interactions between these new characters we're not used to, it's continuing and improving. I didn't, I wouldn't think I would say that again after the last episode, but this one, I mean, think about it. Sam, his guy, John and Stennis, you know, Varys and Tyrion. I mean, all this, you know, and then of course, um, Barrington talking to her about the Mad King, all that dialogue between these people has really made these two episodes great, especially this last one. Absolutely. I'd say my best part of this episode to me was definitely the uh, electing of Lord Commander at the wall from Sam's fantastic, you know, comic relief and, you know, just shaming Janos Lent to Maester Amon with a smile on his face. And then when the votes come in and he's got to throw his coin on, you know, and he leaves with a grin 
You know, yeah, the, the, I love the facial it. expression was awesome. Absolutely. I mean, he he shows a lot just by just a little simple grin you know, of getting a laugh at a Sam and then, you know, kind of a proud smile. Oh, yeah. He has to know Alistair's squirming. Oh, just know? seething. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, there's no doubt. Now, I will give a right behind it favorite part was like we talked about Brienne and the, the you know, the on the horse battle scene knife through, you know, the sword through the knife. Awesome. Yeah. You know. um, what do you think the worst part of the episode was? The worst part to me is is probably the Danny plot line. I love the ending. I love seeing Drogon and, you know, his glory. He's awesome. You know, he looks fantastic. I love I love that this whole episode, most of the characters are moving forward, but except Danny. Like once I, once again, I feel like she's kind of in a stalemate, you know, fighting with kind of inconsequential people when it comes to Westeros and the battle for the Iron Throne and stuff like that, that she's just on the outside looking in and constantly dealing with local problems, you know, which don't necessarily move the plot forward in the overall story, but, you know, I, I'd say it's my least favorite part of the episode, but I, I sure hope Tyrion gets there fast. Yeah, um, my worst part of the episode was the uh, execution of Astor. The, the walking out, the her standing there, the long pauses, the delay in so many things, not really understanding a couple, you know, how things were proceeding, who they were fighting. I thought the whole scene was melancholy. Um, even though it was kind of set up, but it was my least favorite part of the show. There was, you know, and it wasn't so much that it was anti-productive or anything. It's just that the whole part was very anticlimactic. Um, you know, her speech was kind of blunt to the point. Um, didn't have care concern. It was no, you know, it was an explanation, but here it is. Take it. You know, uh, yeah. she's usually more elegant and she usually has more inspiring thing. There was nothing to join the crowds, try to make them understand the necessity, all those things. It was just like, this is what happened. This is what he did. Chop his head off. And now we get hissing and stones and let me run away. You know, it, it, it just, it, it lacked like the, the polishing as the rest of the episodes got. Right. Well, it, it feels rushed because it's like very beginning of the episode, you know, we find a guy, you know, we find a harpy. And then Masadora kills the harpy. And then she executes the harpy. Now, it's not like I want them to slow it down at all. Because I don't need any more Danny dealing with local issues. Honestly, I love the fact that they're streamlining it. I could just say that on an overall great episode, it's not like this is a bad thing. It's just not the best part of it. It's it's the worst part of a great episode. Right. The next part we're going to go to is a farewell. This is where we're going to say farewell to any, you know, usually a major character or anybody. And this time, uh, we had two significant deaths, you know, in my opinion. Of course, the first one is Mastodor. Uh, unfortunately, he was beheaded, uh, sacrificed in front of everybody. Well, I guess really not sacrificed. I guess he was just basically executed in front of everyone. An example. Basically. Yeah, an example made. Um, but sayonara to him. And, of course, uh, we want to make sure that we are PETA-friendly and we want to say goodbye to the poor, poor pigeon that was 
unmercifully slaughtered and taken care of by the needle, but we want to say goodbye to the the pigeon as well. I gotta be honest, the pigeons get a pretty bad go on this show. Yeah. I mean, if you remember the pigeon pie at Joffrey's wedding, which he hacked into, it was quite a few pigeons didn't make didn't make the trip of that. Yeah, one. Uh, I'm surprised we don't have Pete beaten down in Game of Thrones. But anyway, uh, and so we're going we're going to call that a wrap on that farewell. Uh, you know, so uh, um, I think we go right into the feedback. Um, looking forward to this, but. Uh, I think we had some good stuff. Um, still wanting more. If you can definitely send us some props, uh, anything, your opinions. We're, you know, we're bleedtvpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're also at bleedtvpodcast on Twitter. We're also on Facebook. Hit us up. We got, um, we got several here, but we want more. Keep hitting us. We're going we're gonna to reply and keep knocking it out. Um, the, one of the first ones I got was, um, this was from star real uh i really enjoyed this episode what kind of a relief i found uh, last week was a little boring okay uh and kind of slapped together it was nice seeing Arya return and going to dorn for the first time uh, but most of all i really love the part of daenerys arc and the books based on the episode at least they seem to be right on track and doing that justice compared to the book the staging of the execution execution scene gave me chills uh, you agree with this comment? Not at all. I'm actually like kind of the opposite, to be honest. Uh, I don't love the Daenerys stuff at all. Um, I, I do. Arya's one of my probably top two favorite characters, and I love having her back. But I got to be honest, they're kind of going slow with her too. You know, it's it's not like it's a bad thing. I like seeing the setup. Like, I, mean, I wouldn't want to see him just open the doors and let her in, you know, but... I mean, they, it took a little time to the episode before they even, you know, had the reveal of Jack and, and then she actually walks inside. Um, I'm right there with you. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Star Real, I'm, I'm not, I'm with my brother here. I thought the execution scene, like I just said, was the worst part of the episode. Yeah. I thought that um, of the of all the characters they showed, I'm the most fascinated by Arya, where she's going, but it's been, it's at a snail's pace where she is. And Danny's stuff, I'm not a book reader, so I don't, you know, I know that you're saying they're giving her justice, but I'm not, I'm not feeling how they're going about it. I'm hoping there's more to it or we're getting something that's going to come up that's going to have create a uh, that everything we've done so far has a value but we'll have to see how that goes i mean the the stuff about danny in the book is as slow as crap too i mean it is sluggish pace you know so yeah i think they're doing it justice they've changed up a few things you know i think to streamline but if she is still in marine this entire season then my god it is I've had my fill for yeah, sure. And we're on episode two. Yeah. Um, here's another one about kind of Daenerys. This is uh, B. Melanie. Um, Emil Clark uh, didn't put in a convincing performance in this week's episode. I didn't feel she or the script made a good enough case for the cold blooded execution. Uh, she also looked weak in fleeing the scene after the execution and nothing like the Dragon Queen. The crowd was melodramatic, and at one instance they were calling her mother. 20 seconds later, they wanted her dead. Uh, I think this falls right into what we just said, um, exactly what I kind of thought was the worst part of the show. Um, I think Melody's on point. You agree? 
I agree with some of the stuff. You know, I can't just hate on the dialogue because I love the Bearston, you know, writing and talking to uh, Daenerys about her dad and things like that. And even the stuff with Macedor talking to her and talking about his father and, you know, how he never lived if we're back slaves again and stuff like that. It's not like it's poor writing. I just feel like the book is so in-depth and all of this, you know, this plot line that they're having to streamline. So I think it feels a bit pasted together, you know, and it moves a little fast. But damn, I I don't want it to go any slower. You know, I don't want them to throw in another, you know, 20 minutes of dialogue, you know, going over this same stuff that we've gone over for the three seasons now. Yeah, true that. True that. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that things are shifting. Like I said, I want everything that's been happening to happen to have value to whatever's coming up for her character and where it's going. Right. I, I, I don't want to just crush Danny in this plot line. It's not like I'm not interested because I can't wait for Varys and Tyrion to show up. When Varys and Tyrion show up, this becomes one of the more exciting plot lines in the whole show. You know, because I can't wait to see that. You know, but with Barristan, like, what's he going to think about Varys? Well, not yeah. only that, we, we got fighting pits coming based on previews we talked about last episode. And my man, uh, Jorah. So, I mean, there should be a lot more coming uh, that's going to make this a very interesting part. Right. I hope it comes quick. Yeah. Um, we got uh, Frederick Edmund. Uh, let's see. The number and significant uh, plot uh, divergence from the book is becoming alarming, according to him. However, good to see Sir Barristan going old school and uh, the Sons of Harmony after a group of Unsullied have been ambushed. Uh, what do you think? I mean, you're a book reader. I'm not. This guy says it's significance on the divergence. You you agree with that? There are major divergence. Um but I would say 90% of the divergents are positive. You know, they're, they're good remixes. huh? Absolutely. I mean, like in the book, the hound never fights Brienne, but that's one of the best moments of the entire show. Really? Yeah. So that, I love that. That was a way that was epic. Right. So they took two characters that are beloved by readers and show watchers alike, and they made them intersect in the books. The hound dies from a bite on his neck. From a guy that Brienne kills in the show. Remember the guy Biter? Mm-hmm. With the sharp teeth and stuff like that? That's who pretty much is the end of the hound. He bites his neck. You know, the hound kind of has to sit down because he's got infected wounds and he's been in too many battles. And he basically sits by a tree and dies. Okay? So, would you rather that or two of the baddest swordsmen and swordswoman, you know, in the planet to, to battle it out? You know, so they are diverging a lot of stuff. Jamie, in the books, Jamie doesn't go to Dorne. In the books, Bran's not with Sansa, you know, on her trail. You know, there's a bunch of stuff they're changing. But so far, none of it, other than a couple little small details, I mean, none of it's been bad. It's all been streamlined and, you know, making the show easier and, you know, quicker to watch. Gotcha. Uh, well, good, because I'm loving it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you can't quote on that too much. But and I'll, I will send my nickel to McDonald's for using their line. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I also got a feedback. This is from Melanie, and she wants to know, 
What does Jon Snow do with Alistair Thorne now that is that now that he is Lord Commander? And also, how does Stannis react to his promotion? Um, Alistair Thorne is going to be a thorn in his side. I think he does things to discredit him, uh, even sabotage him, cause a division, or just out and out murder him silently to where he's the only clear choice left. Uh, I don't see him standing by or ever following his command. Right, so I, I can't really comment on this too much, but... So you don't think Alistair will follow any command that John gives him? I think he does if he's in a public setting where by defying him, you know, it could put him in trouble. But I think everything is going to be like a snake in the grass. Uh, Things are going to, you know, he's going to do things to either break apart his alliances, make him look bad, discredit him, or set up an event to where he can take over. Uh, I don't think there's any chance of him becoming uh, a productive member of his flock, you know, and not as him as leader. Okay, so John would have to die for Alistair to become Lord Commander. You think that's some kind of plot he's going to try to put in? No, in this show, that's possible. Um, or, uh, or Stennis comes in and does something that makes John leave the Night's Watch. Um, allowing Alistair to take over. One of those two things are going to happen. Unfortunately, like I said, I've seen a preview, you know, from the, you know, from the first episode or before the season started where it looks like it sees snow um, at Winterfell. If he's at Winterfell, then that means he's not Lord and commander in my opinion. Um, And if he's at Winterfell, based on what Stennis just said, about him being a Stark and King. It sounds like there's something that happens that allows him or gives him the grace to leave the Night's Watch to go to Winterfell. <clears throat> and uh, personally, I hope that's what happens. Uh, I, you know, I hope um, him staying at the wall. I think the wall's done its part for the show. I think, um, you know, its next part will be, you know, if White Walkers come or this kind of stuff, but I think it needs a new surrounding for John or something new to spice up that story. Uh, as for Stennis, um, I think Stennis could give two craps personally. I think he's got his mission and, uh, you know, as King, I don't care if you got a vow to the Night's Watch or not, you can do what you're told or you're going to be dealt with. You know, I think he's already given him a little grace, uh, by not, you know, punishing him for killing, um, Mance. Mance. Um, but it's only because there's an end game. You know, he needs him to come so he can get the North to have the power he needs to advance. And so between Alistair, between Stennis and everything else, something's going to change that's going to make John step out of the uh, Night's Watch. Uh, you know, for all I know, it's Sam's used as a pawn or the girl or something where he makes a choice where he has to save a friend or people and it's the wiser decision. Okay. Well, I can't say anything, but nice speculation. (laughs) Thanks. We also got another one from Brad and this is kind of a personal one. If you were in Westeros, what would be your house sigil and what would your sword be named oh man um 
you know, considering my size and girth, I'd probably do something like uh, <laughs> like uh, Lord of the Rings. I'd be like a, a picture of an ogre or, you know, something of that nature, some horrible disfigured monster or you know, it'd probably be like a symbol of an oversized man. And I think my weapon would probably be, you know, you know, something buster, you know, like they use like a middle buster or a, you know, something like the only reason that pops my mind is, you know, watching Brienne break that sword, you know, I would hope that, you know, considering size and girth, we would be carrying a weapon that it's not something you can defend against. You can only hope to avoid, you know, that that's, that's my view just being the, you know, fat kid that I am. <laughs> well, I, you know, since I got this feedback, I gave it a little bit of thought and I was like, you know, my background is I love art uh, and I love the violence of these shows and stuff like that. So I thought my, my banner could be like a skull and crossbones, but instead of the bones, it'd be like a paintbrush and a dagger, you know? Okay. The only thing you're missing is fairy wings. I but mean, look, really? I mean, look, come on. I, I went pretty <laughs> you deep. You carry that banner. See who follows you, Mr. I went paintbrush. I went pretty deep. Because I got to think, it's like, look, if I wanted to assassinate kings or queens or princes, it's like, they all want their damn portrait painted. Oh, So it's like, gosh. I'm going to need some time with the king to mm. paint his picture. And then, you know, hey, pose for me real quick. Let me go you get. Paint him to death. <laughs> Let me go get. What am Bored I? Boredom from getting a portrait made. <laughs> okay. Let me get some of my materials and dagger them in the back. Okay, we're losing <laughs> listeners over your banner. Okay, what's your weapon? The paintbrush too. Uh, uh, draw blood. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we're gonna move on due to lack of co-host effort. Um, yeah, that wow. Mm, uh, I'm gonna talk to you later about that. Um, I think we we'll just call that a done deal and feedback and uh, wrap the show before we go to our you know PG spoiler section. Um, we're gonna have a little, like I said, some predictions and some you know very light spoiler. We're not into that deep stuff and uh, more informative than anything. But uh, you got anything else before we do that? No, man, that's it. Uh, well, good deal. Well, guys, uh, if you hang out after the music, we'll have a little smaller section. But if not, uh, this is Bleed TV, and I'm Zach, and we'll see you next week. And I'm Jake. Look forward to it. All right. Later. All right, and we're back. Um, I think the first part we're going to do in the spoil section is going to be them uh, predictions. Um, I know this is kind of more heavy my way, but based on what I've seen, and of course we'll we'll dissect the the preview. Um, what I see coming up, of course, is the only characters we haven't seen yet. And of course, is Greyjoy, Reek, whatever you want to call him. I think we got to touch on that. I really don't hope to see a whole lot. Uh, he He's not a favorite character of mine. Ever since he portrayed Stark and everything happened to him, I've kind of enjoyed watching him become a nutless wonder. You know, even it's just... Shaftless wonder. Yeah, that's, right. Yes, exactly. You know, all balls, no shaft. Um, yeah, he, if anything, it doesn't bother me that he wasn't saved. He's a you know, bumbling idiot and, you know, uh, it doesn't bother, you know unfortunately in this kind of show, he's going to be a character that's going to be around, you know? I, and I, so I see him. And so that's where I'm at with him. Um, 
I think they've been hitting Danny every episode, and then there's a reason why. So I think my prediction for coming up for him is is that we're going to continue to have a uh, Danny arc almost every episode. I think Dorn's going to become a, a big player. Uh, we're going to see somebody or something happen at Dorn within the next episode. Um, I think, I don't think it's Jamie Braun yet. Maybe Varys gets there with Tyrion. Uh, maybe not. I, I don't know. I, I don't see that happening initially because, uh, the, you know, the collision of new characters, you know, uh, they're not moving fast enough for that. I think the journey for them is coming. And so we're going to see some key things for their journey because so far we've hit them every episode. Their dialogue has been fantastic. Now it's time to have a new setting. That's going to create some more. So that's going to be money. Um, I, you know, be honest with you, they could take a break from Cersei, Jamie and all them. We've had plenty of them. The first two episodes. Um, I think, you know, of course, we saw the preview, so Arya is going to meet somebody new um, and go down that road. So that's where I'm kind of hoping. We're going to have Arya, Danny, we're kind of cute, and then we're going to sprinkle in the Greyjoy part of it, Reek, um, and hopefully a decision from Jon Snow and where he goes, you know, and what kind of trials, tribulations, and effort he's going to go. So that's what I'm looking at as prediction for coming up. Okay, well, the, the hard thing about this season is going to be and the fact that I know some of the book stuff, and there's, I'll be honest, there's some stuff I don't know. Like, I have no idea what they're doing with Sans and Littlefinger. Not a clue. Not a clue. With Brienne, like I said, they've they've altered this so much. With Jamie uh, going to Dorne with Bronn, you know, it was a whole different character that went down there, you know. And after knowing what happened to that guy and, you know, where he ended up and, like, how he handled Dorne, it's it's... Do I assume that Jamie's just going to follow the same plot as that person? You know what I mean? Uh, I can't. You know, I, I don't know, but... I wouldn't count on it. The thing about this season is going to be, it's like everybody, like I said, and it's what I love about this season so far is everybody's moving forward. <coughs> so it's not like they can neglect a character, you know? I mean, look at John. John's got huge things going now. Arya about to start our training hopefully as a faceless man you know uh cersei's at home with she's got marjorie to deal with she's got the sparrows to deal with you know she's got kevin lannister to deal with you know she's got a lot on her plate not to mention jamie and dorn uh brands with sans sans is going somewhere with Littlefinger. fairies and tear it's like they're all they all have massive plots that they're working on right now so it's like are you gonna be pissed if they neglect one, you know, but we'll, I'll, I'll ask you this. Every season, episode four is a big, big episode. Remember, it was Now His Watch Has Ended with Mormont getting killed. Astapor with the dragons, you know, getting the Unsullied. Episode four is always big. Like, who do you think the big storyline will be for episode four? Danny. I think we can go back to Danny again. Back to Danny. Just based on previews and things we've got coming, I think the dragons are going to do something. The fight clubs are going to be, or the fight pits are going to be monumental somehow. I think they'll spend a good amount of time there and it'll be an epic part of the episode. A lot of blood, a lot of violence, a lot of, you know, change. Uh, 
Um, and I think it could be a situation where maybe somebody does uh, meet at Dorn and we start to see Dorn characters become player. The Sand Snakes, yeah, maybe you, you, maybe you see them come out who's who they are. Yeah. Uh, you know, we saw previews for them, but they weren't even seen. They were only mentioned for a second in this episode. So next episode of the one after, maybe we see them in action. Maybe we get a first taste. I'm assuming uh, next episode we're going to get a small taste of the Sand Snakes, yeah, just to, even even if it's just introduction. Right. Um, yeah, that, that's that's where I'm at with that. So there's no well, doubt. Let me let me go into some of the book differences um, before we get to the analyzing the preview for the next episode. Okay, one of the one of the major things is uh, Jack and Nagar does not reveal himself yet. Matter of fact, in the books, you don't know if that kindly man is Jack and Nagar. Okay, um, through Arya's training and things like that, the kindly man's always around and he stays the kindly man. You know, you have no idea. What's going on with that? So the fact that they, you know, brought back Jack and Agar so fast, you know, and, and showed it. I think they kind of, that was kind of a, you know, it's a character we know. We're all excited to see him again. The The way they wrote him, you know, a man, you know. Yeah, I think it was a necessity for the show. As a viewer, not a book reader especially, you needed to see that connection that like she had actually reached her destination, right? Not just found some older black guy that looks very not happy, um, and then suddenly starts training. It's not like a completion of the mission, you know. The, the coin was to go back there for him, not you know this. So uh, I see why they did it, and I think it was a good decision. Okay, all right. Next we have the brand storyline. Okay, Brand is nowhere near Sansa or Littlefinger. Or any of this stuff. She is with Pod. Okay. But. The Rod. They actually go on this ridiculous, uh, you know, search to a place called the Crab Isles. Okay. And it, I mean, it leads to nothing. She ends up going like all this way, following some guy she meets at an inn who says, I know where she is. Just follow me. They get all the way up there and it was up. They're just like some robbers. And they were going to rob her. And she, of course, you know, cuts them all down. Skewers them. Yeah, it's just a mass murder. And Pod kind of shows his bravery and helps out. Once again, throwing some rocks at people. and But but landing them. Like nailing dudes in the head. Oh, you, you, I mean, we're not going to see the same effort where he's like, <laughs> and the ball. Yes. You know, it just goes like three feet to the left. The yes. only thing we're missing is the announcer. Yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> the bit outside. You know? <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't make it in the sandlot. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, you know, it was a major league pitch, if you know what I mean. But once again, another shift from the storyline that maybe could be better for Brienne. Okay. Now, there, there's a, another major, major character missing that I would love to have seen in the Brienne storyline. But we might not get, you know, because I don't know where they're going from here. Okay. All right. Masador. He's not in the books. This is a whole new made-up character. Okay. They they have a much bigger small council for Danny in the books. Made up of her normal people. But then they added in all these Gascari people, which are the marine people. Okay. You know, from former slaves, soldiers, and former highborn people, right? So instead, they just throw in Massador, and he kind of just is the door into the issues she's having. 
So it's kind of streamlined, but there are some characters that are involved in the Marine plot that I do miss. Um, like, for instance, the soldiers in Marine that are on Danny's side, they all wear helmets of different animals or insects. It's really cool. Like, one of them will be a bullhead, one of them will be a, like a mantis head, and stuff like that. And it's kind of neat because there's anonymity amongst the soldiers so you just change your helmet one day nobody knows who you are the next day you change to a different helmet and change a different so there's like this there's kind of like yeah you're on our side but we can't tell who you are because you're wearing a different helmet Hmm. now now some of these guys are really cool in the book and i kind of do miss them but like i said they have to kind of streamline this stuff there's not enough i think that would take a lot of story a lot of a lot of explaining to make that look right or do right. Trust me, in Danny's storyline alone, there is probably twenty named characters just in her little tiny story. So they just can't do it. It's just too many people. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, and then we get to obviously Jamie and Braun, like I've talked about, they don't go to Dorn. Um okay, but this is one I really like. The Lord Commander election. Okay. Like I said, the show did a great job. Okay. And I think sometimes the show does a like does a little bit of work to lower the magic a little bit. Like, you know, dragons are yeah, that's huge. Melisandre's done some crazy stuff, but look, what has Melisandre done since the Shadow Baby? Not much as far as like Just major an magic. Advisor. Right. I mean, but she's done the leeches and the kings have died and stuff like that. She gets naked. Yeah, which I don't mind one bit. Not at all. Um but in the books, Sam has a big part of this, okay? He goes around, because there's another guy named Cotter Pike, who's from Eastwatch, and then you had Malister at Shadow Tower, right? They're the two front runners to be the new Lord Commander, okay? Malister's a real heady guy, real smart, and Cotter Pike's a, a warrior guy, more of a fighter, okay? So they all come to Castle Black for the election stuff, okay? Same type of deal where John's not involved. He doesn't have any interest in it, okay? But Sam, on his own, is sowing the interest, running around, and he causes a a rift between Malister people and Pike people, and there's like all this kind of really neat political thing that he's running, okay? Kind of like a lobbyist in Castle Black, Okay? And then it does come to where there's a big like basket or a pot and all the black brothers are there and everybody's has to cast a vote, right? So they go to open up the basket and a raven flies out or crow flies out and it's screaming snow as it flies away, okay? Now, they didn't do much... To show you this, but you remember, obviously, or remember Jorah Mormont, okay, the old bear, the original Lord Commander that died. Do you remember he had a crow that he was always feeding and stuff, and he was always squawking? That crow could actually talk in the books. Not like talk to you, but he could repeat things like a parrot would, right? Right. And, uh, and Mormont loved, it was always around, okay? But when Mormont died, that crow came back. And was pestering John for a long time. 
Okay. So it ended up, it was kind of a magical deal. Somehow it happened, but that crow ended up in the basket. And when they pulled it out for the election, that crow flies out yelling, Jon Snow. Hmm. And the Black Brothers take it as a sign, like an omen. And they end up voting for Jon Snow. And he becomes Lord Commander. Okay. It was really neat in the book. And I know I'm missing some stuff. And there was a lot of really cool parts to it. And it was like a really neat moment that happens. Um, So like I said, it was really cool in the book. And it was really cool in the show. They didn't mess it up at all. But just, it was a big difference. Yeah, that's a, that's a unique way of going about it. I think either one could have done well. Absolutely. Yeah. It, and and the, in the books, they kinda, there's more to do with, like, Ghost, you know, his direwolf and things like that. You know, there's, they're kind of showing you a little more of the magical aspects about the connection of John and Ghost and things like that. Right. You know what I mean? I so. I don't know. That that was my last book difference. It was just really cool. I really liked it. So. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, like you said, they the way they did it in the show was awesome. It was one of my favorite parts of this episode. Uh, the way you explained that right there could have been really cool. Um, you know, of course, it would have had to have some background, you know, the, the talking crow and everything like that. So it had to have a lot more setup from previous season. But Right. It's not like I can disagree with the choice they made because it was my favorite part of the episode yeah I'm, I'm, yeah no doubt no doubt um let's break down the preview uh, of right. course i went frame frame the whole nine yards starts off with uh you know little finger and sansa and he gives her a little message saying you know love your family so avenge them so he can definitely tell he's letting her know that they're they're putting their chess pieces in play to do some things to get revenge for the all the death that they've had to deal with the mother, father, everything else. Um, okay, so who, who do you think that is? Who's who's the key? Who's the key families needing avenged? Considering who's left, and she knows Cersei's got to be at the top of the list. To me, I don't but know. But they're avoiding Cersei, so we know it's not Cersei. It's true. Um, well, if you look at it that way, the people who have uh, heard her directly um, has to be the who's the cat who killed Rob Stark at his wedding. Um, so you got the Boltons and the Freys. And the Bolton and the Freys. Yeah, I mean, Boltons are fresh. I would think the Frey was the more devastating, you know, in my opinion. You know, killing Rob and the mother and his pregnant wife. Uh, in the ultimate act of betray uh, betrayal, um, and Bolton was there. I mean, oh, Roose put the sword through Rob. Yeah, so I mean, um, yeah, I mean that's that's a tough call. Uh, okay, yeah. well, let's just say we know Bolton is now in Winterfell. I mean, he's got his sigil in the opening credits on Winterfell now. So you got the Boltons at Winterfell. And you got the phrase that the twins, where do you think they're going if they're going to avenge? Based on the previews and what I saw like her in the catacombs under Winterfell, I'm guessing Winterfell. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm I don't know. With, like I said, I, yeah. this is not in the books. Um, then it goes to Arya in a dark room with the, you know, Jack Nagar. And then you hear a female voice talking to her like, who are you? Why are you here? That kind of stuff. So... You know, and she makes that key line where it says, you carry a coin you have not earned or you didn't earn. Um, I'm guessing this is just like, 
this is another character we're going to meet inside there where you know is she going to be getting trained is she going to be learning the art is this uh are they going to question why she's even here or allowed to be here i think we're going to have some issue there uh but we're definitely going to dive into the house of black and white next episode okay i i know who the character is i know who's talking and i won't even say it's really spoilery this is a girl that basically works at the house of black and white and she's a trainer she puts aria through the paces basically so I think this is kind of like, think of like a drill sergeant coming down on a new recruit. I like that. That's good to hear. That's what I wanted to hear. Um, the Then it kind of shoots to a part where they're talking to Cersei and this white bearded fellow, uh, you know, and the question gets asked, what do you want? And Cersei's, uh, you know, like justice. Um, but it's kind of a couple quick flashes, you know, and looks like there's some distress, things going on at King's Landing. Yeah, don't, don't you see the guy with the white beard, like, stripped naked and being... Yeah, like he's... Pulled through the street or something? Yeah, I don't know. I can't tell if he's being pulled. Like, there's a group around him, but I can't tell if he's leading the group or if they're pulling him. It was such a quick flash that you don't... Doesn't give you enough, you know, but evidently he's a quick... And I don't recognize the character. I don't know who he is. I think it's the guy that was at the top of the stairs before Tywin's funeral. It's possible. You know, the um, guy that was like, these, oh, yeah, these the, lords and ladies have been waiting, you know. Yeah, the priest. Like, let them wait. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's that guy. It's possible. Um, I don't know. It doesn't give you enough. You, you see he, he quick seems flashes. Like a, he seems like a religious leader of some kind. Um, then it goes to John, and it shows some, you know, it has some little quick quotes where Alistair... Uh, Basically, is I'm not following him, and there, he's got some trials, tribulations happening at Castle Black, where some things are working in the background against him, and uh, I think Sam's in danger. I think John's in danger, and so there's definitely going to be some internal struggle going on there as him becoming the new leader. Uh, of course, couple that with Stennis, so it's going to be pretty interesting. And will, then, of course, it I should. will say this is the most. This is one of the plots I'm most looking forward to because I know kind of what's coming and I love it. All right. Well, good. Um, and then, of course, it goes Ramsey, his son, Reek, of course, Greyjoy. Um, they're, they're shot. Doesn't really say – they don't really give any dialogue. You just see pictures of them and a couple little things are said, but it doesn't give you any clue. It just basically lets you know that their, their, their arc is going to be presented in the next episode, basically. Well, let me, let me ask you this, too. I know, I know this is a little slightly off topic, but remember when Littlefinger was in, in the pub basically, with Sansa, and she asked him about the little scroll he got, and he says that his marriage proposal's been approved. And you know, she's like, "I thought you were still mourning my aunt Lysa, you know, your beloved." What do you What do you think about the marriage proposal thing? Um. Well, considering he's a guy who's already, for every move he makes, he's planned four ahead of it, you know. So I'm guessing this is just another strategic move for him to gain more power. Um, but I have no clue who uh, his proposal or anything else would even be with or what it means for him. This is where I'm completely in the dark. Oh, well, so am I. Okay, but my thing is, maybe it's not his wedding. 
True. Maybe it's Sansa. It could be could be Sansa's or her whatever her code name Elaine is. Elaine Stone, yeah. <clears throat> um yeah, there's no telling. Um But who's marrying a bastard? You know, like well, how does that give you power anywhere? I'm worried that he's using her as another tool basically to get power. It's true. I mean, I, he has shown that he's capable of anything to for self gain. And and if if you're correct and she's at Winterfell, who's she marrying at Winterfell? Ramsay? Yeah, maybe. Maybe this is the, the, the He's legitimized now. Lord Ramsay and her and that that makes him have more stake as the Lord of Winterfell. I mean, Roos, I don't think I mean, I think Roos wants to be king in the north, but I think they God, like I said, I, I don't I could see where they're like where you need a Stark in Winterfell. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and that that could be the whole deal. It, it could, could be I mean, the, it could the be. missing chip. I just don't know what they're doing, Sansa. I mean, this is just I mean, it's completely off to me. We're off the grid here. Yeah. Um, then it shows a real quick shot of Tyrion with a, you know, like a hood over him, like he's hiding, but observing something cuts right away. Doesn't show what he's looking at or doing anything. And then it goes right to the end of the preview where it says Jack Nagar. And he says that all miss, all men must serve. Um, don't really, I'm not a book. Like I said, don't really have a clue what he's representing, but I'm sure the show is going to give you an example so that that line makes sense. And, Feed you, you know, feed what you need on that, you know. Well, you ever hear when she says Valor Harris, that's all men must serve. So, well, there you go, learn something. But that's that was in the preview on that, and uh, I don't really have anything spoiler after that. So, um, we wrap it. I think, unless you got anything else, man, we can call it a day. Man, let's call it, man. That's a great episode. I can't wait yeah, for that. Yeah, absolutely. And guys, we really appreciate everything. We're loving the feedback we've got. Uh, we appreciate the reviews we've got. Um, really, really enjoying this and hope you are. Uh, as again, always, keep sending us stuff at, at TV Podcast on Twitter and TV Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, anything you want us to add, change, shake up, we're all about it. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I think until next time, I'm we'll call it yeah and absolutely and please uh it's a huge help to whether it's thumbs ups on stitcher and rate and review us on itunes that really gets us noticed and moves us up in the ranks and that's uh it's a big deal for us all right thanks again guys see y'all next week yeah bye